A show where we will talk about finding beauty in the most unconventional places in our lives. So every week, we'll talk about dealing with disappointment or overcoming frustration and dealing with stuff that just gets under your skin and derails you. We'll also have amazing guests on here that will be sharing their stories. So I'm your host, Shanna Strange. Let's dive in. Telling me this is the end But I belong to you yeah, I belong to you Joe Friedman used to find me on the playground every day and find ways to torture me. I remember his stale breath that came out like dragon fire in my face when he pinned me against the wall. He breathed murderous threats in my face and warned me not to say anything. He called me names and forced me to eat dirty food off the floor. We also rode the same bus, so he devised ways to sit next to me to continue the constant barrage of torture. I cried a lot in those days. I was skinny, little, and terrified. I finally told my parents and they were furious. My dad told me the next time we were on the playground, I should pick up a piece of pipe or something and hit Joe with it. That's probably not exactly the best course of action, but we are from Texas and folks handle things around here. The next time we were, um, the next time we went to recess, I looked really hard, but I couldn't find the pipe. So that plan fell through. I had no other options. I felt trapped and afraid and no one could save me except my mama. Joe went a little too far during a game of 7-Up one day and accidentally kicked me in the nose when he skipped by. Let's just say my mama came unglued in East Texas terms. She marched herself up to the school and demanded that they move me to another campus. And they did. You don't mess with somebody's baby girl. Mom still gets mad just thinking about it. I let her read these last few paragraphs and she sent me angry emojis back. Joe taught me that life can be cruel and unfair, and I felt unmatched for the challenge. So I continued to let that cruel taskmaster beat me down. For years on end, I lived so cautiously that life became more about surviving than destiny. I spent my days attempting to avoid intimidating people and difficult situations because in my experience, I always lost. Fear began to permeate every area of my life until I felt overcome by it. I made my decisions based on the presence or absence of fear. I just wanted to be invisible because invisible people don't get bullied. As a matter of fact, invisible people don't have to even try at life anymore. They can just quietly exist because their presence mostly goes unnoticed. But as life would have it, I couldn't eat, sleep, and breathe all the while being invisible. As a matter of fact, I constantly had this uncomfortable tug of war going inside, going on inside of me. Part of me wanted to be invisible and somehow float my way through life as a ghost observer and be completely unaffected by the cruel world that was around me. But the other part of me, the real me, wanted to live and have fun. I wanted a life of adventure and purpose, but it also terrified me at the same time. 
So I pushed myself despite being terrified. I tried out for a cheerleader and somehow made it, even though I'm terribly clumsy and not the happy loud type that talks an octave above their normal range. And I'm awful at plastering fake smiles on my face, but I did it my I did my best and I played the part of an awkward cheerleader because I knew it was better than being invisible. And that tug of war continued with a couple of jobs I worked in high school. My first boss felt the need to call me names and belittle me when I didn't understand something. Are you stupid or something? She screamed at me over the frozen food aisle about something I did wrong. I cried. Again. I just wanted to be invisible, but I wanted to matter too. I quickly turned my notice in there and started working at a video rental store for an extremely unhappy woman that constantly ridiculed me and called me dumb. I remember seeing pure hatred in her eyes as her face turned 500 shades of red over a shortage in the register. She blamed me for stupidity, but it was later discovered that the girl working the shift before me had been stealing every day, leaving the register low when I clocked in. Those were awful times in my life. Those awful experiences, Joe and the horrible bosses, made me feel like something was inherently wrong with me. That made me feel ashamed. So now I didn't just feel ugly, I felt dumb too. Shame is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Its repulsive presence paralyzes us and renders us to a passionless and pitiful existence, which is right where the enemy of our souls wants us, hopeless, afraid, and puny. So we invent ways to become more invisible, to keep ourselves hidden. We can't figure out why we hide out at home eating entire bags of cookies and bowls of ice cream, all the while binging out on a pointless TV series. We want to escape for a while. But we wake up the next day five pounds heavier and our muffin tops substantially expanding. It took me a long time to trace my behaviors to the root of shame. I gained weight and lost it a hundred times before I figured out that my behaviors were emotionally driven. Shame cloaked my soul, so I felt heavy. Heavy with failure, heavy with rejection and humiliation. Heavy because I gained about 40 pounds in a year. And with a cloak of shame, an intense darkness soon follows. And it all stemmed from those early years of bullying. What have you allowed to bully you over the course of your life? What do your Joes look like? Because I can almost guarantee that you have a Joe or two breathing down your neck to shut up and sit down because you'll never accomplish this thing anyway, this dream that you have inside of you. Your Joe is your giant, and you have to deal with your giants. You can't take your promised land without decapitating a few of those giants of fear shame, or anger. But the question that begs to be asked is how? How does one successfully transition from a scared and puny girl to a fearless warrior armed with the word of God? It takes more than a few failed attempts, some bruises and scrapes and getting it wrong. It takes getting up again and again, over and over again until we finally do it. But it, it even takes more than that. It's an unrelenting passion inside of you that knows, knows you are made for something more than being invisible and quietly wasting your life away binge watching the next popular series. Even when you try to quit, you find yourself getting back up every single time. You were made for more, that little quiet voice whispers every time you feel like you failed and you want to walk away. And it's that little voice that keeps you going from the beginning to the end of the dream. Always 
just a step or two in front of you, gently coaxing you to take another step. The reason I kept going even after what seemed like massive failure was because I heard the voice again. But not just any voice, it was his voice. His voice sounds different than any other voice in the entire world. You will want to become intimately acquainted with the way he sounds, so you are always following his lead and not your own preconceived ideas. It was his voice that gave me direction, understanding, and ultimately confidence to do what he told me to do. I slayed giants of doubt, shame, and fear because he told me I could. I spoke to situations and moved mountains because he told me how to do it. We always envision ourselves wielding our swords and going into battle all alone and in our own strength, but that's not reality. We could never defeat our enemies in our own strength. And thankfully, we don't have to. God's voice will always tell us when and how to accomplish victory in our lives so that we can walk in our destiny. We transform and become the person we were meant to be by following his voice. The opposite is also true. If we listen to other voices than his, we will never overcome. Just like when I dis- when I listened to Joe and the horrible bosses that constantly told me what a loser I was, it became the script of my life in every situation. As I rehearsed it in my mind, I always ended up the victim in the situation, and it rendered me powerless. No one can slay giants when they are a victim. So what does God's voice sound like? I learned what his voice sounded like because I heard it over and over again. I heard it through the sermons that my pastor preached. I heard it when I studied his word on a daily basis, digging into it for myself instead of expecting someone in ministry to spoon feed me every day of my life. I heard him while in conversations with other Christ followers because they said some of the same things he said. And I heard that same voice in my quiet times, those moments when I intentionally spent time in worship and prayer, asking him questions and listening for responses. The point being is that I surrounded myself with his voice so that it became so familiar and normal to me. I didn't attend church at Christmas or Easter only, never pray, never crack open my Bible and expect to recognize God's voice. No, I immersed myself in him in every way I knew possible so that I could hear what he was saying. I wanted to hear what he had to say more than the words anyone else said to me. When someone we love is trying to communicate with us, like a spouse or child or parent, we move in close and we don't just listen with our ears. We take in their facial expressions, gestures, and tone to really understand their meaning. We get closer to them, not further away. It's the same with God. We need to use all of our senses to hear him. He doesn't just speak one way. He speaks to us using a multifaceted approach. And I love that. Beyond the ways I already mentioned, God has quietly spoken to me through nature on various occasions because it's a powerful visual representation of his message to me. He also speaks to me through dreams and visions, which are just images that flash through my mind. If you really listen with all of your senses, you will find that he is speaking to you daily. The problem is we don't know how to be still before the Lord. We end up like a two-year-old, squirming to wriggle loose from him. We have to train ourselves um, at the art of being still before the Lord. 
It's hard to do when you have a list a mile long of things that need to get done. A cell phone constantly distracting you and children clamoring for your attention all day. It's difficult to find the time, but I didn't say it was impossible. The Lord can show you what will work in the season of life that you find yourself in. What I can tell you about the voice of God is that none of us will ever accomplish our destiny without it. And more importantly, we will never become the person we need to be without hearing and obeying God's voice. To be honest, it's actually more important to concern ourselves with the becoming of the person instead of fulfilling the destiny. That's in God's hands, not ours. The only thing we can control is our reaction to life's ups and downs, ups and downs, and our attitude about what God is doing in our lives. I believe that God is, um, I believe that this is why God gives us such an abundance of time in our waiting. It takes a really long time to become the person needed to play the part in the story. That's not the way the world sees it, but that is how God sees it. And it's honestly, that's the only perspective that matters. Culture says your most important years are early in life, so you better make it happen quick. But God seems to think otherwise, most of the time, based on these statistics. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years on their promise. Moses was 40 when he fled from Pharaoh into the wilderness. He tended a flock for 40 years, and then God told him his assignment. Jacob worked for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage, only to be tricked into marrying her sister, who worked an additional seven years for a real marriage to Rachel. God sent the prophet Samuel to anoint David as the next king, but David spent 14 years hiding in caves and running from Saul. So what happened in those long seasons of nothing? I believe they learned how to be led by God. They learned what God's voice sounded like and not the, and the consequences of not doing what he said versus the blessing that followed when they obeyed. For instance, Abraham only directly disobeyed God when he and, he and Sarah decided to take matters into their own hands and create their own version of the promise via Hagar. The result of that decision brought them constant strife and resulted in Hagar's dismissal. On the other hand, David waited on God to position him as the king of Israel, even though Saul currently filled that position. I suppose he could have viewed Saul as his enemy, preventing him from entering into a glorious destiny. But David never saw it that way. Instead, he knew that his own personal desires and humanity were the real enemy. So he constantly threw himself upon the mercy of God. He never took matters into his own hands or mapped out a 10-step outline to get him to the crown, and that obedience eventually led him to his destiny. David lived openly and broken before the Lord without any pretense. That's why he could so clearly hear God's voice and direction. He knew he couldn't save himself, so why even bother? If God didn't save him, he was doomed. That's complete humility, and that's what the becoming is all about. Becoming a person of humility willing to do whatever, whenever God bids. But in that becoming, we also become fierce warriors for the kingdom. One thing David never tolerated was terrorism from Satan or his band of losers. And we must become of that same mindset. We must learn the delicate balance of being a person of both humility and strength. 
When we see others taken captive and led off by the enemy, we should go after them. We can never allow or tolerate the presence of Satan in our lives or those we love. And I love that fierce warrior aspect in women. I never really thought of myself as a strong warrior type. After all, I spent my childhood being bullied and pushed around. I never believed I could defend myself, much less other people. But God saw me differently. A few years ago, I felt this strong desire to take kickboxing classes. Strange for a passive victim, I know. At the same time, I found myself drawn to movies like Rocky and Million Dollar Baby. These movies about unlikely champions fascinated me. I started to take kickboxing lessons, and to my surprise, I actually excelled at it. So much so that the instructor assumed I used to actually kickbox. He only realized I didn't have any experience when he noticed me wrapping my hands wrong. God used this experience to show me identity. I spent my whole life believing lies of inferiority and insignificance. I allowed the enemy to push me around most of my life. But I needed to become the humble warrior to fulfill the script he gave me. I needed to believe I could do anything he asked me to do because his strength lived inside of me. It's hard to be a loser when Jesus is living inside of you. In order to be the warrior God desires us to be, an exchange must take place. Our weakness for his strength, our inferiority for his superiority, his beauty for our ashes, his sound mind for our fragility. We need only be humble enough to recognize our own depravity to embrace his greatness. He is drawn to our weakness, not repulsed by it. Too many times we are too busy um, sowing fig leaves and hiding from God out of shame. But if we come to him, admitting our flaws and shortcomings, he is faithful to help us always. He longs to make this exchange with us. Our good father delights when his children live to their fullest potential. Let me read that again. Our good father delights when his children live to their fullest potential. Let's talk about Joseph for a second because he has been someone extremely important as we have walked through some of these providential um, journeys about embracing our beautiful destiny. Joseph found this place of humility and strength. We know this because of his reactions on several occasions. According to Genesis chapter 40, Joseph accurately interpreted the baker and the cupbearer's dream but they forgot all about him, which was the very thing he asked them not to do, by the way. Apparently, he needed two more years of becoming this fabulous person of humility and strength. Right, at the beginning of chapter 41, Pharaoh has two dreams that ter terrify him and he needs an interpreter. He cannot find anyone to interpret the dreams and the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh what an incredible gift he has to interpret dreams. Finally, after 14 years, Joseph is hauled up from his dungeon. The shackles are loosed, the shaggy beard is trimmed, and the stench of a decade is washed off before he is brought to Pharaoh to interpret the dream. Look at his response to Pharaoh to interpret the dreams. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it is said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Did you catch that? It is beyond my power to do this. Yep, 
there's that humility shining through. Remember, in the beginning, Joseph ran his mouth to his brothers about his dreams, basically telling them they would all bow down to him. He then further poured salt in the wound with his constant donning of the special goat. But that flashy Joseph is gone now, replaced by the quiet but strong servant of God. He then follows that up with unapologetic unapologetic faith in God to fulfill Pharaoh's request. But God can tell you what he means, what it means. This simple statement reveals Joseph's state of mind. One word, humble. He has learned complete dependency on God. No more arrogance or attempting to inflate his gift to manipulate his way out of prison. Joseph submitted himself to God's sovereign rule and complete authority. We may be tempted to view this humility as weakness, but humility is, in fact, strength. Merriam-Webster defines humility as freedom from pride or arrogance. Man, I love that, that it is defined as freedom from pride or arrogance. Yes, Joseph realized at some point he wanted freedom from himself because liberation from pride is being free from yourself. It's the strength of character to be able to separate desires from necessities and choose what is best for everyone and not just ourselves. Humility cares about others as much or even more than ourselves. This is what Jesus did, and it's our destiny as well. It takes incredible strength to completely humble ourselves before God. We don't get there because we gave up. We arrive at this place because we made a conscious decision to partner with God. We become allies in his quest to further his kingdom. We know our place and we know his as well. He is the commander and we are the ground soldiers. Our strength is found in our alliance with our supreme commander. Joseph knew his place so he could reply with unyielding confidence to Pharaoh about his commander's ability to interpret dreams. If we keep reading the story, Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams, sparing no details, Joseph immediately responds with authority and confidence, explaining exactly what the dreams mean and how to save Egypt during the extreme drought and ensuing famine. That's, there's that fierce warrior in Joseph. He knows his words carry weight because they are backed up by the Almighty. That's the reason he can risk everything to make the bold statement. Because Joseph humbled himself, God not only showed him the dream meanings, but also the solution to the disaster. We too can also be assured that in our worst dilemma, we will receive wisdom when we humble ourselves before God. Humility is the pathway to the greatest power we could ever know, God's power and his authority. It's an unfair exchange, really. God's wisdom and power for our pride and arrogance. God requires extreme humility from his soldiers. In my reading of 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 19, I was reminded of why David was such an incredible king. His son, Absalom, felt, bed, felt bitter towards David and spent years advising his king to take the throne from him. He began to secretly win the hearts of the people by pretending to be their advocate. He hung out at the city gate when the men came seeking an ear from the king. Absalom made promises to them in order to win their hearts. Soon, a movement to overthrow David picked up momentum, and eventually David learned of it. Instead of meeting this re revolution head-on and dealing with Absalom, David fled. He took his men, wives, concubines, and headed for the hills. This makes no sense, right? 
At this point, David had been king over Israel for decades. The celebrated king, fierce warrior, protector of the Ark of the Covenant, and God's anointing one, why on earth would he run? Was he afraid? Confused? Hysterical? Or had a little too much wine? No, I believe David humbled himself before the Lord, as was his nature. He knew that if God found him unworthy of being king and his time was over, then God would strip him of the kingdom. Nothing could be done except submit. So he handed himself over to God, whom he trusted to handle the matters he saw fit. David rarely took matters into his own hands. But the flip side of, of that coin is David's impressive warrior heart. He didn't run from battles brought on from other enemies of God. In fact, he often went after those types of situations. Think of Goliath, for example. David becomes furious about uh, Goliath defying the armies of the living God. And you know the rest of the story. David took his few rocks and took Goliath out, followed it up by cutting off his head. Doesn't sound like a weak guy to me. No, he sounds like a man that understands submission to God. We carry great authority and power when we walk in humility. Remember, humility is a sign of strength, not weakness. What about you? Is God requiring great humility from you right now? Do you feel helpless to change your circumstances? If you do, you are in good company with some of the most powerful saints this world has ever known. God is trusting you with great power. You just don't realize it yet. I'm sure you're wondering, how can that be? After all, your life is falling apart and you can't seem to do anything about it. Nothing makes sense. Everything in your life seems the very opposite of what you thought it would be, right? If I were sitting there with you right now drinking a tall skinny latte, which is usually what I drink, I'd grab your hand and wipe that tear <clears throat> trailing down your face. I tell you, God is with you. He is for you, and eventually this will make sense. Every scar, every battle, every mountain, and every valley. Everything in your life will bow its knee to the supremacy of Christ in his providential hand. I tell you that because that's what I wish someone had told me when I found myself trapped in a job I hated, with feelings of failure compounding on me daily. I tell you that because it's true. And I would tell you that because that's what God wants you to know. He truly is working something out. He truly is working something in you too. Something so beautiful and captivating that by the time you move on, you won't even recognize yourself. Fear won't be your constant companion. Shame won't feel at home anymore. And you will be a fierce warrior for the kingdom. The enemy will shake when he sees you coming because he won't see you. He'll see the king on the white horse whose name is faithful and true. Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. That's right, friends. Our destiny is to let Christ live in us, war through us, 
and defeat Satan through our lives. Our ultimate goal is to reveal Christ to the world through our surrendered lives. That's the reason I can say unequivocally that it's the strongest people that truly understand humility. They are strong because they allow weakness to lead them to surrender. And in that surrender, God provided a graceful sort of power. So don't let your hearts be troubled in your place of difficulty. God is forging greatness in you by perfecting your character. Remember, don't busy yourself with fulfilling the calling, but rather becoming the person of humility and strength that we talked about. Don't fight against circumstances in your life that God might be using to shape your character. Instead, bow your knee to God, ask Him what He wants to teach you in this challenge, and then patiently listen for His answer. You can do this. You might struggle and fail or fall down, but you will get back up. There is something bigger at stake here than just your comfort. He who began a good work is able to complete it unto the end. You have that assurance. So that's what it is to become a person of both humility and strength. And I hope that today, um, that was an excerpt from, uh, that was an actual entire chapter called The Becoming that I have actually, I cut from my Providence book, but I'll probably be using it for something else. So you just got a little bit of um, a taste of what it'll be in probably another book. But I hope that that gives you courage and strength today to, to press on through your hardship, through your difficulty, and to give you a new perspective. Um, I would love for you to send me any questions or comments you have to shanna at shannastrange.net. Um, I'm going to start a section within the program for questions and answers. So, as I gather questions, I will start a segment where I'll answer those questions. So, send me your questions. I want to answer them the best that I can with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Um, and until next time, have a great week. God bless. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining me on this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Here are some ways that you can connect with me. You can go to Facebook and look up Shanna Strange Ministries. You can go to shannastrange.net to my website, or you can go to Instagram. It's Shanna underscore strange. I'll see you next week.